This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 27th of November 2018. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem. Running on working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my lime-flavoured co-host, Jon. Don't say that. Hi, Dave. Do you have any idea how hard it is to search on that subject? We'll get back to it when my little article comes up, but it ain't easy. <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, what's what's the state of key lime pie? Like <laughs> yeah, but you, you, you're going too fast. It's a news episode, so it's a short episode, as uh, we hopefully get to do once in a while. And I don't think we have any housekeeping things to talk about, do we? I don't think so. I think we are without housekeeping, although I am winging, or my audio bits are winging their way uh, to you via the freshly provisioned this morning uh, broadband connection just added to the property. So, so far, so good. We'll see if uh, it lasts. No longer squatting with, uh, with friends. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> able, able to do uh, local recording. Uh, and I guess the hangover is also done from the birthday party. Uh, well, I'm not sure about birthday, but uh, certainly, yeah, yeah, the anniversary party for the podcast that that was that was last week. This is this week. All forgotten. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it, it was quite hectic for me. This is easy. This is this is just you and me. I don't have to touch my mixer panel. It's it, it's it's all gonna flow. It's gonna be magic. Possibly. <laughs> anyway, talk to anyway, me about buses. Buses. So, uh, this is an interesting article from Wired.com. Uh, that's, I mean, so it's actually talking about the Boston school bus schedule. And essentially, there's a. There's a Why do I, I would thoroughly recommend that? looking at the article if you're interested in really how to deal with change, specifically change driven by AI or ML or algorithms or whatever it might be that impacts people. Um, the the very short version of this article is essentially um, a bunch of uh, MIT researchers were given the task of producing a new um, bus schedule for the schools in Boston. And so they fed all the data in to an algorithm. The algorithm spat out some results. The uh, um, Boston schools publicized the, uh, uh, the, the sort of potential new timetables, and everybody exploded. Um, there was people protesting. It was all over the news, apparently. Um, all sorts of... All sorts of up in arms, kind of raging people, and all that sort of thing happened. And essentially, it's um, it's really an article, as I said earlier, about about change, how to deal with change, how to integrate the fact that um, it's not you know whenever you're dealing with uh, people, it's not just about the numbers. It's very rarely all about the numbers. There are always other factors that you need to kind of roll into these things, whether it's waiting for um, certain parameters more than others because it's likely to have more of a an impact or um, the fact that you just need to communicate the sort of why the, why the algorithm, if you like, is actually making some of these changes that seem to 
impact a certain sub-demographic uh, more than others. Um, it, it is, at least in my opinion, is actually quite a uh, uh, quite an interesting article. Um, there are some, I think, good points that they that they bring up over over the course of it. But really, the the fundamentals here are, you know, the the algorithm did exactly what it was asked to do. Um, so it wasn't that the algorithm itself was at fault, um, although they did sort of tweak it a little bit later. Um, but uh, it was really about making, you know, just because um, someone objects to the way you're using technology, that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It just means you possibly you need to do a better way, better uh, method of communicating about why those changes are happening. And uh, there is even sort of some thoughts around if uh, something is changed by a machine, then people get more upset than if it's changed by a human. I don't know about that. I'm not quite sure that whether I can. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm qualified to answer that, but it's an interesting thought. Um, but uh, you know, it goes into a little bit about the uh, the explainability or transparency, Jon, that you were talking about uh, a couple of episodes ago. So I think it's a it's a nice article for um, you know people that are dealing with other people that are impacted by change, especially change driven by AI. Uh, probably it's also to do with the fact that people have become more knowledgeable and I guess also more entitled or feel more entitled to explanations. Because in, yeah. the, in, the, in the days when my parents' parents were young, the government said yes and then you said yes too and that was it. But these <laughs> days, because the whole society has become more social, I, would, I guess, I don't know, we, we all like to think we have something to do with our local policies mm. and everything. We also want to know, okay, you did this, tell me why. And if I understand why, I'll maybe ex- accept the fact that it's not ideal for me because reasons. Yeah. And in this case, and you're right. I mean, if it comes from a, from a machine, it's much easier. If, if you have to direct your criticism to a person, I guess most people are a bit... Uh, refraining from doing that because you don't want to yeah. uh, insult anybody or something like that. But if it's a machine, hey, kill the machines, right? Down with the Terminators. <laughs> it's a bit of a... Uh, maybe we'll have to have to go, go into some racism <laughs> deals on how to treat machines and algorithms more as humans. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Yeah, it's a fairly lengthy article. It also gives you a bit of a history on how they reiterated on it and how actually at yeah. the end the developers at MIT or the algorithm choosers, tuners explain to the article writers why and how and whatever. Mm-hmm. But did it, in the end, did they actually use the new, the new schedule then or didn't they? I think they I think they did end up using the tweaked and tuned version of it, yes. <laughs> yeah. This is nothing to do with bias, right? Bias is something else. Yeah, I believe so. Although, I think it's related because the I mean, in this, in you know, some of the things in this case is there was a, a, a bias against certain types of families or a perceived bias by the algorithm against certain types of families or certain styles or whatever it might be. So I think that that's where that's where some of the, the tuning came into the eventual final. Yeah, there, there, there was actually a bias introduced willfully because I'm quoting here, optimizing the algorithm for greater between quotes equity also meant yeah. many of the planned changes were biased against families with privilege. Yeah. It's oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- th- essentially, that introducing bias is what 
tuning is in many cases? Um, I don't know. Sometimes you'll do, do tuning to remove bias. But yeah, it's it always affects bias. Exactly. Okay. So yes, there we go. School fairs in Boston. New 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 bus schedules coming to a city near you, courtesy of machines. <laughs> uh, well, AI in this case. I mean, machine learning is so 2000, it's all AI now, baby. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, links in the show notes. So, talk to us about Lime. Well, anyway, starting from the start, it's always a good place. I want to talk about machine learning model interpretability. I've got a couple of articles on that because, uh, well, ever since we went to the H2O world a couple of weeks ago, a month ago now, I think, I've been looking deeper into the subject and I expect at least part of our listeners are also interested. And as a first foray into this topic, I've got some article links about Lime, one of the most used techniques used for interpreting machine learning and AI models out there. Now, this is going to be a bit more of a technical uh, discussion than usual when we do uh, uh, coverage of news articles, but I kind of hope it's interesting for our listeners anyway, so uh, I'm going to go for it. Um, yeah, before I actually dive into the articles themselves, as Dave already alluded to at the start of the episode, it was actually quite hard to find uh, articles related to this Lime stuff on the internet because doing a web, surf, uh, a web search for the term Lime or Key Lime, which is something we'll talk in a second about, well, you'll probably pretty much get anything but machine le- learning related hits. It took quite some uh, creative searching to get some decent information on the subject, and that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it on this episode, because it's hard to find stuff when you're uh, starting out on this uh, on this subject and uh, trying to find information about it. So, a little discussion here, and of course, uh, links will be in the show notes, uh, so people can um, search further by themselves. Anyway, uh, just yeah, maybe just re- reiterating for people that aren't exactly versed in the subject of machine learning model interpretability yet. The idea here is to make sure that you as a data scientist or you as a user of a model or you being the victim of a machine learning scoring model. The idea is that you can understand exactly why a machine learning model decided you should or should not get that bank loan or that uh, cash uh, withdrawal you just tried to do was considered fraudulent fraudulent excuse me and rejected or why you should or shouldn't see a certain underwear advert on your web page uh, when you go uh, looking uh, pages in the on the web now when a model is trained it's trained using data obviously from the data set, the useful pieces of uh, the data, useful pieces for your use case are extracted and turned into so-called features. Now, this step can involve some simple ETL. It can be combinations of columns in the original data set. It can be, it can be an explosion of a column. Uh, think of the date stamp column in a lot of uh, databases out there. Quite often that uh, Linux epoch date stamp really doesn't mean anything for a machine learning uh, model. But if you can extract from that date stamp, if it's a weekend day or a weekday, if it's a holiday, if it's Christmas, things like that, that's when the feature becomes interesting for a machine learning algorithm. And then, of course, there are still some uh, more technical steps like the uh, categorization of a column using one-hot encoding and things like that. If that last sentence didn't make sense at all, trust me, if you're doing machine learning, you know what one-hot encoding means. 
Anyway, during the training of the model, the machine learning system you're using uh, will kind of decide which features uh, which will use, which features will be the best it can take to come to predictions that match reality best. However, the end result of the training step, uh, you kind of get this black box model. You have no idea what the machine learning system actually did and how it's using the features you provided it, which ones are being used, not used, which have a very heavy influence, which aren't. That's all pretty much a black box. You can't see that logic. You can't get insight in that algorithm. That's not what this machine learning system does. It trains the model and gives you a trained model that you can use for scoring. And that's kind of it. But it does make it very hard to explain why a model predicts a certain score for a certain data point. It actually is quite impossible for poor humans like us to, to, to kind of divine how the system gets to a conclusion, considering that hundreds of features are quite often used for a, a simple uh, prediction. Well, simple, simple in my end. Now, for me, as a victim of a machine learning scoring algorithm, that's a problem, because if my bank is telling me that I cannot get a loan... I kind of want more than more of a reason than the machine says no that that doesn't suit me that doesn't work for me. I want to know what I need to do to get a, to get the loan. I mean, do I have to move to a different location, get a smaller house, get a better job? Always helps, I guess. Uh, maybe divorce my partner. I don't know. You have no idea at that point, and you, you do want to, as a user of the machine learning model, you, you do want to be able to tell the quote unquote victim why it uh, it happened to be yes or no and how he can change that outcome what he should what are the, the, the steps to do that and that's where techniques like lime come in now lime uh, again it's a horrible name if you're looking for information on it but it actually stands for local interpretable model agnostic explanations and those are actually all important words there because uh, the local interpretable uh, will talk about in a second because you have local versus global interpretations of models but also the model agnostic explanations is important because the whole thing about lime is that it doesn't care how your model works if it's a tensorflow model or a, a regression random forest or whatever it's agnostic it will not take how the model was built into account when it tries to explain it which is actually a very f- important thing here because it does mean you can deploy lime theoretically on any model out there now we'll see in a second there are some limitations there but it is agnostic basically it'll look at your trained model and try and find out which of the features in your data set were most important for its decision making it does that actually by feeding a specific data point to the model repeatedly and then every time it feeds it it changes one of the features in a certain way and by looking at how a change in the input Input data results in a change in the scoring algorithm, in the scoring output, it can kind of dis- the divine which features have a more or less influence on, the, uh, on, on how the score is calculated. Now, obviously, it needs to do a lot of these tests. And again, humans cannot really do this in any kind of practical time. You kind of need an automated system for this. And that's what Lime gives you. Um... So yeah, so after doing a, a bunch of tests with different f- uh, feature combinations and a lot of uh, variations on the features, it kind of paints a picture and it'll end up with a list of uh, features for, for example, for a loan application, you'll see that at the top of that uh, 
feature list, you'll see that, well, if you have outstanding death and you didn't pay your last uh, due uh, amount, you probably won't get a new loan. Yeah, and that's actually from a true story. I mean, true story. That's one of the t- examples I found on the web where uh, loan application is one of the things that are being, uh, being where machine learning is being used to see if a person should get a loan or not. If you have uh, already loans uh, or debts outstanding at that bank and you haven't been paying them, well, that was the main reason why the bank decided not to give you a new loan. And, well, again, makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> Now, coming back to the acronym, Local Interpretable Model Agnostic Explanation. The local interpretable, the idea there is that Lime can do a local or a global level explanation. And on a global level, it's basically looking at how the model works in general. And then it gives you generic uh, explanations about, well, for this specific model, in general, these are the, uh, the, the terms that are used mostly. However, they also want to be able to explain things on a per data point uh, level. So not global, but very specific for my prediction here. And the reason behind that is that maybe the global interpretability tells me that the average wage you've had over the last 10 years, uh, how much your job is paying you, is a very important factor. That's totally valid, of course. Now, what if I'm a student and I've never worked in my life? For my prediction that feature will be a lot less important because it simply says, I don't have a job. So in that case, the global interpretation of the model isn't really explaining anything to me. I want something specific for my uh, situation. And Lime is able to do that. You can push Lime on top of a model and do a global explanation, or you can have Lime do, okay, for the specific one, these are the ones that are important for that specific uh, explanation. So... Even though LIME stands for Local Interpretable Model Agnostic Explanations, it doesn't only do local, it can also do local. That's kind of how to look at it. Now, I did already mention there's a couple of limitations here and there, and one of the biggest limitations is uh, time. Machine learning models are getting more and more complex all the time, and they're getting complex in two ways. On the one hand, uh, quite often these days, a prediction isn't done by a single model, but by an ensemble model where a number of models are used in sequence to come to the uh, eventual score. And there can be a lot of stuff in there. There can be some aggression in there, some force in there, and whatever. Making uh, making Lime figure out how your scoring will be affected by, um, uh, by the uh, features gets a lot harder if you have ensemble models. Another thing is deep learning. Deep learning is being used more and more. It gets more and more accessible to everybody, so it gets out there a lot more. And you'll see that it's a lot harder for Lime to explain a TensorFlow model than to explain a simple regression. Not that it couldn't do it, but there's so many different variations possible there that just would take too much time to come to a decent, uh, explainable explanation. (laughs) Now, to overcome that, what Lime will often do is simplify the model and work its magic on that simplified model, and that kind of solves the I-need-infinite-time problem. But it does introduce some and possibly a lot of fudge on the interpretation it delivers. So uh, I guess with, uh, with everything in machine learning, you, should, you always have to make sure, use your common sense, uh, look at it, have a human look at the results uh, of the model and also the results of that explanations. Because if it really doesn't make sense, um, see if you can tweak it a little bit and see uh, if you can get to a better result there. 
also, as far as I know, and I'm, I'm not really certain about this, but as far as I know, Lime is mostly used on uh, models that predict or classify um, data points. And those models are usually built using supervised learning, which means you have label training data. If you're using unsupervised learning without label training data, you're basically doing a sort of classification there. And um, I don't know if Lime actually works there. I've in the in the articles I've found, I didn't really see any uh, reference there, and I'm not entirely sure is that because it doesn't work on uh, unsupervised learning, or basically because supervised learning is like 99% of all machine learning being done out there, so it's harder to find any kind of um, uh, material on that. So, but anyway. Going back to my articles, because I'm being I'm rambling on here, the first article, a link you'll find, is an article by Lars Hulstart on the Medium blog called Understanding Model Prediction with Lime. And it's a pretty easy-to-read blog post using some pictures to explain what I've just been talking about here. It's a quick read, like five minutes read, and easy to go through to give you a bit of background. And when I was looking further on the subject, I actually found an article on the O'Reilly website. And I think that artic- this article in O'Reilly's was the inspiration for Lars's article. Uh, the O'Reilly article uh, was by Marco Tullio, Ribeiro, Samir Singh and Carlos Gestrin. And at, that one's dated uh, August 2016. So uh, even though it's uh, somewhat older, it does go into more depth. And I do believe it's still quite valid because the whole interpretability uh, team is quite young still and doesn't change that often. Lime was uh, alive and well then, and it's still alive and well today as well. Um, the O'Reilly thing does go into a bit more depth, as I said. Uh, one of the things, before, uh, for example, it does cover is how to work with image data and what the possible consequences are if you have Lime working on image data. Or Lime trying to explain a model that works on image data, I should say. And the third article is where we really go into the deep end because that's actually a dissertation, a PDF file on the Cornell University Library where a group of people looked at uh, Lime versus Key Lime and tried to show how they differ. I added a link. um, uh, And the reason I want to mention this one specifically is because I'm talking about Lime here, but when you look at uh, solutions out there like uh, stuff from Microsoft or the H2O stuff, you quite often see K-Lime or Key-Lime and not Lime. And in the end, I'm not an expert here, but what I could find, and we're going to quote an article here, is that Key-Lime is an adaptation of the Lime technique for business users. Key-Lime proposes building K-means clusters and in the input space and building linear monotonic monotonic monotonic, sorry, models in each cluster with regard to response variables. As I said, not for the faint of heart, but basically it's the same approach, Lime or Key Lime, but with Key Lime, uh, they're using Key Mains clustering when they're trying to interpret a model. As a user, it shouldn't make that big a difference. If you see Lime or Key Lime, just see them as uh, uh, the same. Uh, but if you're building stuff on this, there's actually a big difference. And if you want to know the real nitty-gritty, then the third link, the Cornell University dissertation PDF, will give you a lot of information. But again, not for the faint of heart at all. Anyway, looking at Dave getting a bit tired here, I'm going to wind up the subject. Uh, one last thing I want to mention here is that more recently, Lime interpretations are often being augmented with a newer technique called SHAP. And SHAP stands for Shapely Additive Explanations. Hey, it's uh, what's in the word, right? Uh, I'm not going to go into SHAP right now, but if you do want me to talk about it, let me know, give me a Twitter or an email, and I'll see if I can strong-arm Dave into letting me go off the deep end on the subject of ML interpretability one more time.
For people that are doing machine learning and AI, uh, interpretability becomes more and more important. Uh, not only the yep. H2O guys, but also at Microsoft, we are now plunging deep on this part. So it's going to become pervasive. And it's a part that hasn't really, at least as far as I uh, know, hasn't really been in the limelight, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, much yet. So it's something that I'm going to dig into. And because of that, I will be... Uh, soiling the day that the podcast with this uh, subject further yay (laughs) (laughs) just just so you know dear listener when dave was previewing my articles he said they were boring so dry so (laughs) dry this is good stuff like a jacob's cream cracker covered in sand (laughs) anyway let's move on from from key lime pie and tell me, tell me about the best of the best of the best of the best um, of NiFi. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to say best of the best of the best. I mean, if you say NiFi, that that's the same thing, right? <laughs> I mean, we're NiFi fanboys. Always has been. It's, it's been at least two months since we haven't talked about NiFi things, so I need to put something Probably, in there. Yeah. And this isn't an article, but it's uh, a blog post from uh, or a blog site from uh, Pierre Viard. Viard. Not sure if he's French or not. Uh, who simply has a page with the best of NiFi links about the framework, installation, security, APIs, monitoring, how to do stuff, scripting components, and NiFi registry. I'm just reading stuff on this blog post here. And it's just a bunch of links to articles that he has um, chosen to be good representatives of their kind. So if you're doing anything with NiFi and looking for something, or you need just uh, looking for a cheat sheet or something like that, this is a, uh, I think it's good to have, I've tested a couple of links, and uh, yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good resource. Good collection of knowledge. Yes, collection of links to knowledge. I put the link in the show notes. I'm going to tweet about it too. That way, people will know it and uh, love Nifi even more. Right? That's how it works. Hooray! <laughs> so yeah, that's it for me. All right. Anything else from you? I think that's it. Well, if you don't have anything to say anymore, then the world has come to an end and it's all the time you have for today. We hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelfin.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also find us on Twitter using the attitude cast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelfin.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. I look forward to talking to you next week. Bye.